Hi, everyone, and thank you for giving us your time today. I'm Ian Hamilton, and in case you're new here, I'm recording this from our studio in VR. I'm wearing Quest 2 with hand tracking and meta avatars, and I'm joined by my co-host, David Heaney. He lives on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, and we've never met in the physical world. But in this studio, we can sit together each week and talk about the latest developments shaping the next generation of personal computing. We can see live comments. Hi, Adam Hartzell. When we record this on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, and VR Download is available for listening on every major podcast platform. Heaney, what do we have today? So we're going to talk about Pico's plan to take on Quest 2 in the United States and fund their own VR games. We're going to talk about Horizon Home finally launching so that you now have avatars in your Quest home of the people you're in a party with. We'll talk about Horizon Worlds finally coming outside North America to the United Kingdom and adding a new feature which allows you to garble the voices of strangers. We'll talk about Meta's prototype photoreal avatars, the new advancement for them that means they no longer need a giant capture rig to be generated. We'll talk about a report that suggests that Apple's headset will be delayed into the middle of next year, not just the start of next year. And finally, we'll be talking about the report that Meta has cancelled its 2024 consumer AR glasses amid widespread cost-cutting at the company, which includes the cancellation of some of their other future hardware ventures. So a lot of things to talk about today. Pico seems to be planning to move into the USA. They've just launched the Neo3 Link in Europe, and they look to be spending tons of money, according to a report from Protocol, to support this rollout. Right before we came in here, I was talking to Jamie, who has the Neo3 Link in his hands. He's been testing it out. And we got some of those early impressions from him as he's sort of assessing that for review. I don't think we'll go into it too in-depth. But it was very, very interesting to talk to him and see where he he stands on this product compared to the Quest 2 where we stand right now. Keeney, what's the latest here with Pico and what do you think we're going to be in for in the next year? Yeah, so as you say, this is a report from Protocol where they have a source and they've noticed a lot of job listings from Pico. So the job listings they've noticed, the most interesting one is for a head of consumer sales in the United States. And it's described as being responsible for the sales and marketing of Pico's overall product in the U.S. consumer market. And that's notable because Pico is currently not in the U.S. consumer market. They launched over the past month in Europe, in countries like the United Kingdom and Germany and Italy and the Netherlands, but they're currently not available in the United States. So launching the United States means that they could take on Meta's Quest 2 in its home native market, where by all accounts, it's making the majority of its hardware sales. And then the second part of this report is that the biggest issue with taking on Quest 2 is content. So Pico's store already has over 100 titles, including some of the top-selling VR games like Superhot, Demio, After the Fall, Arizona Sunshine, Eleven Table Tennis, Walkabout Mini Golf, and etc. But it's still missing some of the bigger titles and missing the exclusives that are either fully or partially funded by Meta that Meta may allow you to come to PlayStation or PC, but they, it's very unlikely they're going to let those titles come to a competitive standalone. So that includes, you know, Beat Saber, Population One, Resident Evil, The Climb, Echo Arena, and onward. So 
what Protocol has noticed is that Pico actually has a lot of job listings for a new division called Pico Studios, where they want to do, they want to build up their own exclusive content library. They want to fund VR games and experiences that will make buyers, regular buyers, not people who are kind of very into the politics of Meta versus another company, decide to really buy the Neo 3 over the Quest 2. And Protocol's source indicates that the company plans to spend tons of money, that's the direct quote, tons of money, for VR games and experiences of its own through this Pico Studio. Yeah, and I was looking at the Pico Neo 3Link website, and I saw this image right up there and confirmed with Jamie that this is pretty much exactly what they ship in the box. It's a USB-C cord that is also a DisplayPort cord, right, Heaney? And it actually screws into the top of the headset. You have a little mini screwdriver. They ship you with this headset and you can go into display port mode with your headset. I was talking to Jamie about this. How big of a threat do you think this is to the Quest 2? This feature specifically or the headset in general? In general, yeah. So it really depends on what kind of content Pico Studios comes out with. It's always very hard for a company that doesn't have gaming in its DNA to jump straight into funding games. And we saw this with Facebook at the start when it was first in its first years funding games. Even though it had people through that Oculus acquisition from the games industry, there was still a lot of missteps. And you see it, for example, when Amazon tried to make its Luna streaming service, when Google went to Stadia. It's, it's sometimes hard for these tech companies to know what kind of studios to fund, what kind of games to fund. So it really does depend on what Pico Studios comes out with. And it also depends on how much of the non-exclusive Quest library continues to come over to Pico. I've actually been pleasantly surprised by how much is already there. People would be surprised to see that a lot of those big games we talked about earlier are already on this headset. So if they're able to launch it at that same price as the 256 gigabyte Quest 2, if they're able to launch it for $100 cheaper and match the 128 gigabyte Quest to at $299, that'll be an even bigger impact. Because right now, this headset is only sold in the equivalent of the Quest 2's larger storage, which is $100 more expensive. As for this feature, it's a it's the big hardware differentiation between these headsets. You know, these are almost identical hardware-wise, except that this has a native true PC VR mode. But that's only going to matter to a small subset of buyers because the majority of standalone VR buyers never use their headset on Steam because they don't have a gaming PC. But it, it is a competitive advantage for this for people who are into PC VR because it means you don't have to deal with that compression and you don't have to deal with USB issues. Although I, I do think that given the popularity of Wi-Fi 6 and given the fact that virtual desktop and Airlink exists now and potentially, as we've talked about before in this show, Medic may come out with its own USB dongle, for uh, a more enhanced Airlink experience, I think the wired PC experience becomes even more of a niche where it's, you know, if you're a simulator fan or sim racing and you want to get that maximum fidelity, sure, this is going to matter to you. But I suspect a lot of people are going to want to prefer to use the wireless, in which case these headsets are essentially equivalent. Mm. I'm seeing Chris Richardson bring up that fundamental question we have talked about previously on this show, which is just, do we trust TikTok with our data any more than we do Meta? Of course, that's a hard question to answer. I think the answer, one of the really insightful comments we had previously on that is, you know, neither uh, is kind of the solution, right? You should have tracking systems that destroy data as soon as they sort of analyze them and don't store it anywhere. And so it's going to be a, a long 
process of us vetting whether that actually happens in these systems and getting hardware people to actually go in and root out how these things function over time. Um, but that's a separate issue from just are these going to compete head to head for people's dollars in the next little while? And I was talking this over with Jamie that this seemed to me like a really effective replacement for a Rift S or a Rift if you've still stuck in PC VR of those eras, right? If you want to go up to have some standalone features and move up to a newer PC headset, this seems like it might be an interesting option for, for some folks even if they're not necessarily getting all of those premier big name titles that Meta has gone and already brought into the Quest ecosystem. Yeah, in a way, if you are just looking for a PC VR headset, this is actually a very compelling option. And it's not as quite as high resolution as the Reverb T2, but by all accounts, and from when I tried it, the controller tracking is better. And obviously you have those standalone features. You have the option to go wireless and it's hundreds of dollars cheaper. So. Yeah, ironically, this could end up as just even more of a compelling PC headset than it is a standalone if you're purely looking for a standalone product. But, you know, when it comes to those data privacy issues, that is something that's going to matter because a lot, what a lot of people have been hoping for when they ask for competition to Quest 2, or at least a lot of people that are in the kind of tech industry bubble, is a headset from a company that isn't basing its uh, business model around this kind of data collection. And a lot of reports have shown when, when security analysts look into this, that the TikTok app, the TikTok app, which is owned by the same company that owns this, ByteDance, actually collects more data than things like YouTube and Facebook and a lot of the Western apps. And you are talking about a company here that at the end of the day is heavily linked to the Chinese government, has been known to work with the Chinese government on some of its surveillance programs. And if, you, if you're trying to make an ethical decision, being stuck between Meta and ByteDance is really, neither of those is a great option if you're truly trying to be an ethical consumer. Yeah, the ethical consumer, it becomes a really tricky thing where you draw the line on uh, what you're responsible for in your purchases. That's a very deep rabbit hole to go down at any given moment, uh, learning how and what your technology is being used for. I always find it interesting that drones have evolved and the way we refer to that technology as now a little toy that follows us around, but it has origins in a completely different space where people started using that terminology first. Any comments there we should respond to before going on to the next subject? The last thing I would just want to say is, I think Onikazi is kind of hinting to this, but there is a potential that if there is in the next kind of decade or two a trade war between the united states and china or you know some would argue there already is if it escalates further there's a possibility that bike dance would be put on one of the import ban lists just like we saw happen to huawei so there is a possibility that even if this does start to gain a foothold in the u.s market that a few years down the line it isn't able to for external political reasons i wonder how that would affect people who already own the product or developers or kind of people who are interested in the ecosystem so Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg announced Quest V41 includes the ability to invite friends to your virtual home, quote, as soon as you put on your headset. I, I find this related to the last subject because uh, we're talking about Pico and where they are with their devices. And here we are with Meta and Quest, and they really are at this step where you can mark out your whole home with their latest feature you can basically put your whole home as outlines inside your headset and now you can invite people into a virtual version of your home with uh, potentially those i don't think those outlines will show up for 
other people. But they're going to want to hook this up to Horizon Worlds eventually. And this is going to be the starting point where you can meet with another person from theoretically anywhere and then go off on a journey with them in maybe a 360 app. Mark Zuckerberg announced this feature. I found this was really interesting. Showing Alex Honnold, I think. I don't know how to pronounce it. A world-class rock climber who did a 360 video that is available on Oculus TV. And so you can hook up with a couple other people using this Horizon Home feature and then go watch this 360 video. But beyond that, none of the fundamental features are there to make this a truly compelling thing yet, right, Heaney? Yeah, this is something that has been missing from the Oculus platform for arguably years. And it was it was announced back in like October at connect 2021 as coming soon and we're now in june and it's only just shipping which is strange but people have been asking for something like this for a very long time in that you know when you're on an xbox and you're in a party it makes sense to have that just be an audio call in the background but when you're in vr it seems like if you're in a party then when you're at home and there's no app launched you should be able to see each other as avatars and it's just such a basic feature that Facebook has actually been hinting about having since the original Rift launch. It was something that they were always hinting at saying this is going to come. They had a sort of almost this experience on the Oculus Go with Oculus Rooms, and then it was retired. They had a meet up with friends in a small space and share media experience with Facebook Spaces, and then it was retired. So they finally seem to be landing on this Horizon concept and but as you say, there's still not very much to do here. You can watch 360-degree videos, and you can launch into other apps. But this isn't some kind of headline feature of a destination you would really want to spend time in. The idea is that this is just the menu. When you're not in an app, when you're sitting around saying, okay, what do we play next? Or you're, you've just met up with your friends and saying, right, are we ready to launch in? This is just that kind of background default experience you're in, and it makes sense to have it be a social thing. So I guess what the... Onikazi pointing out that, yeah, I was pointing out two different features there. So marking out your home is one completely separate feature. And then here, inviting friends to your virtual home is a completely separate thing. What I'm getting at there is there are very significant software features that Meta is rolling out right now or in the near future or have just rolled out that put them a pretty significant step ahead of where Pico is at this point in time. There's a lot of catching up to do software-wise in order to get to where Meta is right now. And even where Meta is, is just the beginnings of turning these devices into fundamental communications devices. Like, Heaney, outside of this weekly meetup with you, I don't have a lot of reasons to go into VR yet and meet up with people and go on journeys. This is the beginning of, of that becoming a more common thing, isn't it? Yeah, that was the reason that we covered when Pico made their partnership with Qualcomm because as Meta has over 10,000 people working on VR and AR, it can ship all of these software features that differentiate it from competitors like the Neo 3. But when it comes to those kind of core features, like, as you say, marking out your room with computer vision and remembering where these features are, when it comes to some of the things that we'll see on Cambria, when it comes to space sense, when it comes to those kind of core tracking things, that's what Qualcomm are going to help them with. Because Qualcomm developed the chip that's in both of these headsets, but they also develop a kind of software library that hardware makers can use. And the reason they do that is to make it easier for other people to jump in. Because otherwise, as you say, there is going to be this constant barrier that gets larger and larger, a, a deeper deeper moat of these quest exclusive software features i don't think we're yet at the stage where anything on quest in terms of the home system and the system software is so compelling that anyone's like 
I'm not going to get another headset because this is so good. Horizon is still not the sticky social app. It's, it's rec room. It's VR chat and Horizon still, it's growing and it's, it's getting significantly better with every update, but it's still not in anyone's first choice other than it's kind of small niche of power users. If Meta can get it to that point where this, this all works so flawlessly that, you know, you jump into this with your friends and you see them instantly in front of you as avatars. You can jump into a game and there's no kind of special menu of loading. You're in this same party. Then, yeah, you're going to get to this point where people are unwilling to leave the ecosystem. There's a kind of lock-in effect in the same way that Apple have with iMessage and their other services. But I would, wouldn't rule out ByteDance's ability to hire engineers to do this. You know, they have TikTok, they know social themselves. And one of the things I kind of forgot to talk about in our last section there was the the potential integration with TikTok there means that ByteDance can build its own mode. If you can stream directly from a Neo 3 in the future or a Neo 4 or 5 to TikTok, if you can integrate some sort of live streaming, if you can integrate the social features there, if you can make TikToks within this headset, that's going to be something that Meta can compete with in terms of Instagram, but it, Instagram is not the hot thing anymore. It's TikTok. And even if they market it through TikTok, the ability to, to do that is means they can reach young people in a way that Meta cannot anymore. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. A lot of competitive edges to, to, to them to like compete with each other. Just today, they announced the parental update features for teenagers who are 13 to 17. And basically, a teenager can request parental supervision from someone in their family and they can then moderate their access. But that's, you know, it's really weird to see all of these young people flocking to social networks at the very same time that Meta is instituting um, lockdowns, guardrails on some of those features. It's just very weird to kind of see this social network that was so much about growth, 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 being about trying to raise up other principles, even though internally, isn't there some restructuring around the fact that they need to grow again? Just a lot of things changing all, all at once. Like there's a theme in our some of our stories, Heaney, where we'll get to eventually here, where all these companies are in the middle of a very, very serious restructuring program that has a lot of long-term consequences. Yeah, it's pretty unprecedented. We haven't seen a company try to transform like Meta has. Potentially, you could say Microsoft shift from consumer to enterprise, but even then it was still within the same realm. We're talking about a company going from making social media apps to trying to make an entire hardware system, software, and and platform ecosystem. It's unprecedented. So the next story is sort of related is Meta's Horizon Worlds is officially expanding from the United States and Canada to include the UK. So if you're above 18 years old, live in the UK and have a Quest 2, you should now be able to use Horizon Worlds. Heaney, I've been asking you about Horizon Worlds forever, and your response has always been, why do you keep asking me that I don't have access? Have you been in there yet? Yeah, I went in last night and I played around with the creator tools. I tried some of the main worlds. And most importantly, I talked to the people who have been there since the start. I talked to some of the PAR users that are regulars. And I, I was actually pleasantly surprised that the polish, the the power of the visual scripting and what you can do. And from talking to the users, the changes that happen every every few months and even over the past six months mean that this is actually evolving very rapidly. This is not something that is stuck on its laurels. One, one of the most interesting changes I heard about was that when this first launched in beta, uh, which was what a year and a half ago or something like that. The maximum number of players in an instance was eight. 
And I remember us complaining about th- this at the time at the show because it's like, that's not really a public social VR metaverse platform if you can only have eight people. That's almost a private platform. That's almost, that's no, not really any significantly more than workrooms. It's basically the same as what you would have in Horizon Home, you know, when you have a, a small party of four or five. But apparently that was then changed to 12 and then 20. And now today it's 32. So they've actually quadrupled the number of people in an instance. And that's still not as much as Rec Room. Rec Room can handle 40. It's still not as much as VR Chat, which can handle technically 40, but 80 if you use a kind of invite workaround. But it's impre- what impressed me was that we're, if I'm in Rec Room and there's 40 people, the performance is visibly terrible. If I'm in VR Chat on a Quest natively and there's 40 people, it, the performance is awful. Horizon World's performance never dipped. Even at 32 people in an instance, no issue at all. No matter what complexity was there, they were able to keep performance. So is Rec Room more fun? Yes. Is there more content in VR chat? Yes. But the technical fundamentals in Horizon are impressive to the point where if they can build it out and get the right creators and add the right features over time, I'm more optimistic about it than most people are because that does matter, those kind of technical fundamentals. And as you pointed out before, things like the positional sound, thing, the little details like the way the UI works, it is a significantly more polished experience. And if I were to imagine an average tech user being thrown into Rec Room versus being thrown into Horizon Worlds, you can see why they would maybe prefer that over time. Now, again, I want to go back to the point that I said, Rec Room is more fun, has a lot more content. VR Chat has a plethora of content and a lot more power to the point where you can do things in VR Chat that you would not believe are being done in a single application. It almost feels like being inside a full native application. Horizon Worlds has a long way to go to get there, but I'm more impressed than I thought I would be. Hmm. I'm missing it on my lineup here, but I think it's related enough to get into right now. But the other feature added to Horizon Worlds this week, which is the ability to garble the voices of strangers. So you can go into this voice mode and change it from uh, none here to garble voices of strangers. And now you're just going to hear nothing intelligible from anyone who isn't on your friends list. And basically, you can do this gesture to hear people temporarily. You have to add them as a friend, basically, to hear them make intelligible sounds. I saw several people in our comments mention that uh, the over 18 requirement that is there on all the Horizon Worlds marketing, uh, you know, those are very squeaky voices inside of Horizon Worlds uh, for that to be... uh, basically making a joke that no one's listening to that requirement this is a way to stop hearing people who may be really trying to just scream bother you or otherwise troll your experience and i first noticed this in half and half half did you ever try half and half back in the day heaney yeah i did it's a lot of fun it's a great example of building a social vr app around the constraints of the current technology hmm yeah, and of course, they've got Knock over there, the developers of Normal VR, if you can go check out Knock, but it's a very different experience. But I just loved that constraint of not being able to sort of be bothered by the voice of other people and almost turning into silliness, right? That experience half and half has full body avatars because the elbows are jiggly instead of what we have here where you're trying to guess at the locations of my elbows. And all, both of those ways of making the voices silly and the body jiggly 
makes it a wonderful experience, even though none of the headsets can do those things right now. Like it, it's such a horrible experience if you don't have that filter on for voice. And then uh, you can really get disconnected from your body if the elbow isn't in the right position, as I'm sort of demonstrating right now. Um, it's just I, I'm thinking this might be pretty commonplace in the future, Heaney. That's why I wanted to focus on this so much. Do you think this is something we're going to see become much more commonplace across other social social virtual worlds? Yeah, I think it's an interesting solution to the public moderation problem. I think if you're someone that wants to go into these platforms to experience the content but not meet strangers, especially if you want to experience the content just with your friends and you don't want to be bothered by people, this is perfect. It's obviously not going to be for people who are on there to meet strangers and talk to people. But for the people who do want that kind of content experience without being bothered, without being harassed, yeah, it's a great solution. I think one of the more interesting changes that they made more recently, and again, this is something I was talking to a power user about, is that world creators can now remove people from a world for two hours. So if you're the creator of a, a world, you can essentially become your own moderator. Obviously, that's something that's available on other platforms. And you know, in, on the general internet, the solution of how do you moderate has been to get to put it down to the creators of communities, to the owners, to the managers of communities. You know, on, on Reddit, it's the moderators. On a forum, it's the moderators. These are people who that you don't have to pay. So it scales up the concept. These are people who are already active there because they're the ones actually creating the content. So yeah, it's part of a larger suite of safety tools of which the safety bubble is one, the garbling is one, and community moderation is another. But as I've said before, I still think that when it comes to the public spaces that you're in by default, those kind of lobbies, the hubs, whatever you want to call them, I think there should be kind of company-provided moderators that are paid to actually deal with people. And, and there are in Horizon now that they do have those, but they should be properly moderating the space because just as it's always said that a, ba a bad first VR experience can put someone off VR. If someone's never tried VR before and you put them in a headset and something that's terrible, they're going to, for years in advance, for years on, they're going to say, oh, I tried VR and it was pretty terrible. If you put yeah. someone in it's social VR and their first experience is coming in and being you know, harassed or racist words said at them or things like that, which happens in VR chat, it, we need to talk about the fact that it does happen. That's some people's first ever experience of public social VR, they're never going to come back or they'll come back years later and they're going to tell their friends, oh yeah, I went to social VR and it was like this. So it, it's something that needs to be taken seriously and all of these are part of the solution. Yeah, I, I think a lot about maybe how people are going to be experiencing online social VR for the first time years out. And it's funny to think back like, yeah, in a couple of years, do I put a VR headset on someone and they, they go, why, why does everyone sound so funny? Like I can't, like everyone else is speaking Simlish, right? Or whatever it is from the Sims game. And you just point out, yeah, you actually don't want to hear those people. <laughs> I would ra much rather that be the first experience of a person in social VR than have them put on the headset, hear something awful and not want to go back in. Uh, if, you know, they know that the other people can't hear them and those people aren't going to bother them. It, it's going to make such a better experience overall in so many places, I think. It's also interesting to think what the inverse is of that when you actually have augmented reality. One of the things that meta researchers had met with us about uh, virtually, we did a call with them, was they talked about having perceptual superpowers, 
or the idea that you could wear like earbuds at a restaurant and the earbuds could tune out everyone else in the restaurant except for the person across from you that same ability could be flipped right and you could hear people at other tables who uh maybe you shouldn't if the technology is tuned right so I actually just saw an article, it's on my reading list, it was from the last week that Google has shipped that as a feature where you point your phone and you have your earphones and whoever you're pointed at is the only person that you can hear through your earphones, I think, mm. which is remarkable to, to see. There's a lot of things like that, you know, where Meta talks about a, a big idea and shows you off their research and says, oh, this is coming years down the line. And then another company just ships it. More, most recently, uh, Apple showed at their WWDC the idea of having a personalized HRTF or spatial audio by scanning your face with your iPhone so it knows the exact distance between your ears. That's something Meta has talked about in research for years. Apple went and shipped it. Mm. Yeah, that's a wonderful point, Heaney. And it's interesting to think about a lot of these features that we talk about being uh, scary in some instances, also being fundamental, like uh, fundamental uh, accessibility features to a certain instance, you know, some, a lot of people look at these things and they get scared by the, the most awful potential use of it. When in reality, a lot of these features are going to open up computers for a lot of people that didn't have access to things before. Um, and that's when I, you know, Apple shipped this feature with like door detection, I think. And that's, that's a huge uh, feature for a lot of people. So Andrew is asking, will people know they're being garbled? Yes, it shows up visually that the other person is has, has you garbled. It's not something where you'll be talking to them and being like, oh, why can't I hear? It shows up uh, visually and they can hear you by putting their controller up to their ear. Uh, Etia says they stopped playing VR chat because of the slurs. So yeah, that's another example of and, that. And Bicycle garbled. saying that if you're young or naive, do you think that just how people act in VR and maybe you start you know, modeling your behavior after it. And that's, that gets to the very core of this, right? This feature stops harm from starting, but then you've also got to set norms and sort of like a way for a positive um, interaction to be fostered from the outset, right? Like what if voice chat is, is like uh, an achievement you earn or something you unlock when you achieve a certain level of notoriety and the notoriety in the community. Yeah, I, I continue to think that the long-term feature here will be communities that are organized around kind of topics. So you go into Horizon or VR Chat or Rec Room to go to a club, say a book club or something. It's a, a general example. And so you're around like-minded people and maybe there's some sort of basic vetting process that you need to do to make sure that you're not just going to scream slurs and kind of say awful things. And then you're kind of into that community, but it's a very large public group. Is it similar model to maybe Facebook groups today? Adam is saying that Poker Stars has a literal remote control that turns offensive players into mute crash test dummies. I'm going to have to see that one. I was joking with you at one point about having ban hammers, literal ban hammers in virtual <laughs> spaces, but I like turning them into a crash test dummy. We ready to move on to the next subject there? Yeah. So I'm very excited to talk about this one because Heaney has been following this extremely closely. So Meta's fo prototype photoreal avatars can now be generated with an iPhone scan. Can How realistic are these avatars, Heaney, compared to some of the things that Meta has shown in the far-off future? 
so this isn't less realistic. It's just a different generation method. And if you're not familiar with codec avatars, I would suggest just quickly Googling them. But essentially, it's Meta's research project that they've been showing off since 2018. To And the goal is to develop photorealistic avatars that can be driven by a putting on a VR headset. And the idea is that if they can achieve this in a product by the end of the decade or whenever they do achieve it, that this can essentially replace video calls because you can then have a full likeness of someone, but you're in the same shared three-dimensional space rather than seeing them on a tiny little rectangle in front of you. You know, you would see them at real scale. You'd be able to do things like play a game of poker together. You'd be able to play table tennis while actually seeing your friend who you know from real life as they look. And if the technology is good enough, if the headset's good enough, if the positional audio is good enough, if all of the little details are right, it should induce this phenomenon called social presence, which is an actual psychological phenomenon where you feel like you're sitting across from someone. And right now, the only way to get that is in real life. If you're really in real life sitting across from someone, you will get the feeling of social presence. The potential for VR and AR is that it can be the first technology that can trigger that same feeling remotely. And if they can do that, that could become a bigger application for VR and AR than gaming. Just the the simple act of social presence, because then you can have work meetings that feel like you're actually sitting around a table with someone. You can hang out with a friend who lives in a different country. You can hang out with someone who lives on a different continent. And that will change human communication in the same way that telephones did and in, in the same way you know video chats did compared to our current way of hanging out with someone where you either, as I say, look at a little rectangle that shows it their face, or you play a disembodied game with them where you hear their voice and you're you're working on the same task, but you're not actually there together. And so the research that Meta is showing off this week is that whereas in the past, generating your avatar, your codec avatar, required a capture rig that looked like this with 171 cameras, and then you would kind of go in there for something like 10 minutes and maybe more and do all these different face poses and all of these cameras would capture your likeness. The research now is that they can do it with any phone that has a depth sensor. So that's, you know, any iPhone with Face ID. And it, the process now takes three minutes. So you start by just scanning your face with a neutral expression, and then you go through and follow the instructions to make 65 different facial expressions while you pan your phone around you. And the result is an avatar. The avatar actually takes something like six hours to generate after you've done this capture process. And that's on a machine with four high-end GPUs. So if this were in a product, that step would have to happen in the cloud, obviously. Although the goal would obviously be that by the time this is a product, they can reduce that to significantly less than six hours. But once you have that avatar generated, you can put on a VR headset that has face tracking and eye tracking cameras, and it will act as if it is you. You can speak and it will look like it is you actually speaking and moving with your full facial expressions. So... It's very interesting to see that they've taken this kind of very difficult step, which was how will people ever generate this if you require a million-dollar capture rig and taken that step away. it's In April, the head of Codec Avatars at Meta uh, said that when they first started the project, they were 10 miracles away from shipping. And he said they're now five miracles away from shipping, although I don't know if this would count as one of those miracles to make it four miracles well, so the, here's the thing about this tech that I, I really, I don't know, it's hurting my brain a little bit. And I'm seeing it in our comments from people saying our show would benefit from this tech. 
right? And we've seen it again and again in our comments. These avatars aren't perfect, right? There's a lot of work to go. I don't even feel like I've gotten my avatar to represent myself the way I want it after going into that system a bunch of times. I'm I'm wondering if there's going to be a gap between the avatars that we wear and they look great to our audience, but they don't look right to you and I. Is there going to be a period where like, if you and I are face to face in here, you look in an uncanny valley, but we actually look great to the 2D camera out there. Is is, is that going to happen, Heaney? No, honestly, I, I find the opposite. I find that a lot of the time, VR avatars don't look as good on the on a 2D camera on a broadcast than they do in VR. It, you know, if I watch this show afterwards, or if I'm looking at the virtual monitor over here they look a lot less compelling than seeing your 3D likeness here because of how you're moving in front of me and how you're actually a three-dimensional object from my eyes perspective. I think the whole goal of Kodak avatars, and I, I do think it's reasonable to say they have achieved this, is to bypass the uncanny valley, to use these advanced machine learning techniques to avoid some of the problems of the human-made kind of uh, manually generated video game characters we've seen in the past because machine learning has advanced so much in the past few years specifically computer vision and in in generative adversarial networks that photorealism is no longer some kind of science fiction ideal neural networks really can truly capture the likeness of a human being in that latent space to the point where this is the result this is not the camera this is where the person is I don't think this is the uncanny valley. To me, this goes far beyond it and looks just like a normal video of someone talking. It does, yeah. It passes that test for me. I think what I what I it, it's all the little mannerisms that uh, a person picks up on the, the the things your family members might know to pick up on your face that might not get caught by a sensor. I wonder if those things add any kind of level of slight uncanny valleyness that might add up over the course of interacting with with this avatar this kind of avatar in real time over any length of time like i get just it's weird he need to think that maybe unless we find a way to meet in the physical world very soon we've talked about it we haven't uh nailed it down yet dates but unless we do that i could go from seeing you in this avatar in the next few years and then physically seeing you face to face and there being a real gap there or or being no gap like it's hard for me to imagine meeting you virtually before truly meeting you physically like i i can't comprehend actually seeing you 100 percent at a distance when that's literally what this promises right heaney yeah it'll be interesting to see what those minor disconnects are obviously you know, there are going to be imperfections in things like the hair, but that, yeah, the goal of codec avatars and what modern advances in machine learning make possible is that there would be no gap. That is what they're aiming to achieve. Now, obviously we need to say that this is not something that exists on a consumer hardware. This is all research right now. The question is, can they actually ship this? But as someone who kind of very carefully follows computer vision and machine learning and advances in generative networks, it really doesn't seem out of the question. Deep fakes have been a thing for years now that we're at the point where a very well done deep fake is essentially indistinguishable from reality. And it's not slowing down. The pace of advancement in machine learning, if anything, is accelerating. So if they're aiming to ship this by the end of the decade, I don't see any 
reason we would be in the uncanny valley if they're ready here mm, good point uh any comments there that you want to respond to before we move on to apple uh just that a lot of people are kind of saying that yeah it's funky slaw saying he doesn't see it's oh no slight uncanny valley vibes from me i'm not sure if that's kind of no comma there are slight or no slight no i think it's yeah he's not saying that um yeah maybe. um some people are saying that this is very scary uh the future is going to be crazy yeah this is going to have profound implications on society uh when this is able to be shipped so yeah it become, i've talked about this a little bit previously anywhere if this if this is what the base layer of your avatar is, right? Like you've got a real ID button next to your face that says, yeah, this is actually how I look, right? And uh, you could have authentication systems that could provide that level of like, this is actually how I look. Then you get the situation where they, I've, I've never connected with an avatar or virtual costumes except out of maybe maybe Diablo is the only game where I've actually cared about where th- the way the character looks and gotten more equipment for them. But it's just weird, Heaney, to think of all of the ways that we could cosmetically change these avatars and then we have to have the air glasses to see those avatars out in the real world. Uh, in many ways, our our avatars and our virtual clothes or our virtual pets in the future. Like, are we going to greet each each other out in the real world with those things? Is that going to be how naturally this all is going to be? It's just, it's, it always, it still feels so far away, but uh, we're still seeing the pieces of this technology fall into place right in front of us. Aren't we? Daniel Leeper is, is making the point that I see people make often when they said, don't most people in VR not want to look like themselves? Yeah. That is a very good point. And a lot of people are going to choose to look like something very different, maybe even a different animal and that's not human. Uh, but I think if you want something that looks compelling, it matters, as I say all the time, Avatar. when it comes to avatars, it matters more how they move than how they look. It's very, very easy to make a photorealistic still of a human. But when they start to move, that's when you can usually tell that something's wrong. And, you know, we can look at some of the full body research on this to see the real challenges and where that comes in. And if you, if you look at the full body research that Meta has presented in the past, they create an entire skeletal and muscular model of the person to make them move naturally. And so if you try to translate that to someone that looks very, very different, the physical movements that you're making that are being tracked by whatever body tracking system you're using in the future, probably computer vision today, you know, Vive trackers or whatever, it's not going to look quite right because a, the way a human moves, if you just map that straight onto another creature, isn't going to look like how another creature would move. It's still going to look like you, but in some sort of costume. So why not have this base photorealistic avatar and then you can put whatever costume you want on you but as long as it looks like a costume on your actual skeletal and muscular structure it's going to actually look like it's moving right it's like if you ever see benedict cumberpatch acting as smog for the hobbit movies notice when he has that kind of motion capture rig on how his acting is not any longer how he speaks it's about how he moves he has to kind of look into all of the ways that you would imagine a dragon might move and really kind of contort his body in a very very specific way to make that work that's not something that you're going to do unless you're kind of doing some sort of acting thing in vr and so i do think that i would also argue that maybe the people who use vr today don't want to look what they really look like 
But I think if this technology starts to be being adopted by hundreds of millions of people and you start to get into more kind of normal people who use technology not as their hobby, but as just a tool, you're going to get the people who do want to look a lot more like themselves. I, If you talk to normal people, the idea that they would want to look like a fairy is something that they're probably not going to jump on top. They're going to say, why wouldn't I just look like myself? I Okay, so this is getting into a lot of topics, but like... Uh I think of Instagram filters and Facebook filters being the way people present themselves to begin with, right? That's, that's the default way hundreds of millions of people across the world share how they look to their friends and family, the nearest people in their lives. And it's only when you actually go face to face, do you see the way they actually look? Uh, and I could see that exact same thing happening with your avatars, right? Your avatar could represent, how you look on your best days with uh, exactly how you want. I guess what I'm getting at, Heaney, is you talked about normal people, and you also, like, two sentences later, talked about the some of the weirdest communities that are out there in VR chat, right? Like, like that is a very big segment of VR chat. And at some point, those worlds are going to collide, and we don't know what kind of avatars are going to be predominant going forward over the rest part of this century but like i think there's a very serious situation like a very serious possibility where this is your underlying avatar and then there's just layers and layers and layers and or alternatives that you can swap to of other things you can tack on to this avatar and I, i keep expecting this situation to happen where over time you could pull away those layers and actually show your base avatar once you start becoming more comfortable with people yeah, it's going to depend on the context, isn't it? When you're at a work meeting, you're going to just want to look like yourself. But if you're playing some sort of fantasy game, you're going to want to look very different. And it's one of those things where we're likely going to have options and there's going to be probably you know a costume system if it's presented like that or just an avatar selector. I don't think it's going to have to be either or. But when it comes to replacing video calls, you're going to often want, people are probably going to often want to have their own likeness. Whereas the more it is that you're interacting with strangers, sure, you're going to want to have this different version. And as some people are pointing out, maybe it'll be, maybe even your own photorealistic self will be your idealized self. As you say, yourself on the best day, even better than that, maybe yourself with a kind of beauty filter attached to it. But as I'm pointing out, the more and more that that actually differs from your real skeletal and muscular structure, the more it's going to look wrong because that's not how you're actually moving in real life. And it'll look almost like a mannequin. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've destroyed all of our commenters. They're they're uh, destroyed by our conversation. I think you re- we ready to move on to the next subject. Yeah, let's talk about that Apple report. Yeah, so a prominent supply chain analyst, one of the few that we come back to again and again because they are so reliable with their reports uh, in the past. They're suggesting that Apple's headset is going to be announced in early January, probably January, or sorry, early twenty twenty three, probably January and that it is likely on a path for a launch in the middle of 2023. Heaney, what else do we know about the Apple headset at this time? Yeah, I feel like we talk about this thing almost every week now. (laughs) With this one image, right? They just changed the background color on it, and we're good to go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, We really do talk about this every week. If you're a regular of the show, you may be getting uh, quite bored by it. But obviously, Apple entering the industry would have profound implications for the popularity and the kind of mainstream view of virtual reality and, and headsets in general. The, this recent report, as, as Ian points out, says that uh, 
is from Ming-Chi Kuo, a supply chain analyst who we often quote because he has successfully predicted Apple's moves in the past years in advance. And so he is going against the consensus of the rumors, the consensus saying that this headset will launch in early 2023. And he's saying that, no, no, it will be announced in January 2023, but won't ship until the summer. And between then, Apple will basically be giving out developer kits. So in early 2023, developers will get access to this and then by the summer, you can actually purchase it as a product. And, you know, if, if you are somehow living under a rock and haven't heard the rumors about this thing, the idea is that it's a much sleeker, lighter headset than something like a Quest that has very, very high resolution cameras for color mixed reality. So it's just as much a mixed reality headset as a virtual reality headset. The idea is that Apple will port its, its key apps like FaceTime, it will have a Google Earth VR equivalent using Apple Maps. It will be based around, in many ways, based around being a MacBook on your face where you can view your Mac applications and you can also run iPad and iOS applications in a kind of virtual workspace of your own. It will have, according to the reports, dual 4K OLED micro displays and a MacBook level processor, the M2 processor that's just been announced for the latest MacBook Air so that it will be, you know, twice or three times as powerful as a Quest 2. It will more likely compete with Meta's Project Cambria. It will reportedly not have touch-like controllers, so it will not be a, a gaming headset in that sense, but it will use hand tracking and a custom controller that is like a little series of rings that attach to your fingers, which very interesting idea. We can't really talk about that until we know about it. And yeah, the rumors suggest that this will be priced north of $2,000. So Apple is going to release an extremely premium product here that has all the bells and whistles, all the features in a sleek and lightweight package. But reportedly, they are struggling to get that performance and battery life to work well in a headset this small. And so they're dealing with overheating problems, which is, as I pointed on this show, probably to be expected. We're trying to put a laptop processor into a thin and light headset. Yeah, uh, I'm seeing everyone trying to figure out what the name is. I always liked Eyelid. I thought that would be a good one uh, for their headset over time. But obviously, they've moved away from the eye naming, so I, th I don't think that's going to happen. The thing uh, I want out of Apple devices is co-watching. And we've seen uh, SharePlay make big moves. We've seen a lot of big moves software-wise. But it's kind of devastating to, to hear that this that everything except meta devices is getting pushed out of 2022 isn't it heaney yeah well meta had its own issues with overheating for years the gear vr overheated within five minutes the oculus go would overheat within maybe 45 minutes an hour when you're first shipping it the the advantage of meta is that they started doing this in 2014 zuckerberg paid three billion dollars for a small startup that no one really believed in called Oculus and slowly iterated to where they are today. And so these other tech companies have only really clued into VR being popular in the past few years. It was only kind of the success of Quest and Quest 2 that made a lot of these companies realize we should be on this train too. So they have to start from the start and this is a new product category and it's obviously going to take them some time to get off the grind and get ready to compete. So Yes, it's not surprising. It's not surprising to me that we see PlayStation VR 2 is not out yet, that Apple headsets not out yet, that competitors from the likes of Amazon and Microsoft haven't really brought out something yet because they are just so 
they're simultaneously late to the game in that sense. But as I always point out, this is still the beginning of the beginning for the VR industry. So there's still plenty of time. And it really doesn't matter if this thing comes out in two years' time. It's still the early days. Apple could delay as much as they want, as long as they deliver a compelling product before meta scales into the hundreds of millions, which probably won't be for another five or 10 years. They still have plenty of time to compete. Mm, interesting. Five to 10 years for hundreds of millions. I I haven't ever put it out on a chart like that. It's something we should probably consider at some point trying to think that through because what does a VR market look like with hundreds of millions of headsets passing? It, it seems so far-fetched after so many false starts here. Um, there was Skiva saying about uh, 2023 is going to be an expensive one. I better find a place to sell this extra kidney. Yeah, I he's he's joking there, but like I I was talking about this with family, and you're talking prices that are equivalent to cars or down payments on houses to buy multiples of these things. Like if you you're, you're moving into your VR headset at this point uh, in the future at these prices, um, going to be pretty significant to have that kind of thing on the market because an index that you connect to your PC for one thousand dollars. It's not the same as uh, something that you're so darn invested in, and you better get some value out of it. Yeah, it's it's we're finally at the point where the standalone VR market can bear the price of a premium product, where these headsets have the ability to deliver an experience that justifies that kind of price point, at least for a small number of people. We've heard Meta's Project Cambria headset is uh, priced at significantly higher than $800, so it's not going to be cheap either. You're still going to have this world of $300 Quest headsets. This is just going to be an entirely separate submarket that opens up that provides a higher quality experience for a smaller niche, just like every technology has always offered the budget options and the higher end options. I don't think this is going to be, you know, people say it's going to be an expensive year. Yes, if you want to get these products, but realistically, you don't need to get these products. The features that are available in these headsets will be available in a few years in headsets that cost you know a fifth or a tenth of the price it's just if you want to be an early adopter of this technology you need to pay those prices yeah and i i do want to be an early adopter and i think our commenters do want to be early adopters and that's the thing that's going to be so painful where uh the price tag to be these early adopters has been significant but uh still nothing compared to what we're in for in these next phases yeah, and we have Vario at the very high end. There was multiple thousands of dollars. Um, yeah, did, did you see the Did you see the flight simulator headset, uh, Heaney? That was like a million dollar rig. There was like a million dollar flight simulator rig somewhere in our inbox. Yeah, it was. Crazy it was stuff. the that was the Xtel three lined yeah. up in a flight simulator, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the one I tried at CES. The the wide field of view with no distortion. Uh, yeah, there's there's always going to be a market for the highest end products like that from industry and enterprise. And military. Yeah, uh, David Heaney, uh, Jimmy's asking, why do you think the Apple headset real pictures have not leaked yet? Seems like the project is leaking left and right with no pictures. Hmm. Uh, because, well, the information claimed to have drawn this based on a real picture, but for legal issues, they weren't able to release the picture. If you, When you see a picture leaked of a tech product, it's usually because it's coming through manufacturing and someone in the factory has taken a picture on their phone and sent it out. But this headset, by all accounts, is still something internal within Apple. So if someone were to leak a picture of this, they would be breaking their NDA and potentially breaking the law. So there would be a lot of legal issues involved in that, which is why what the information did was they drew this picture based on the photo they saw, which... 
apparently gets you out of any legal issues or NDA issues related to it. So I, do, I think we'll see this start to leak potentially once it actually gets into mass production, which according to Quo should be in the second half of this year. So maybe around Christmas time, someone in a factory in Taiwan will take a picture of this thing. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it's appropriate to, uh, uh, to suggest people email tips at uploadvr.com. So I won't, uh, I won't suggest that people <laughs> email uh, tips at uploadvr.com. All right, we ready to move on to the next subject? Yeah, let's move on to our final subject. Meta no longer plans to release the AR glasses that they had planned for 2024 to consumers. The information and The Verge are reporting they're instead going to plan these first glasses as a dev kit. Heaney, can you walk us through exactly what was what we expected to be in this device and what still might ship pretty soon? Because I think there's still the camera glasses line. I reached out to Andrew Bosworth directly to ask him whether they were going to continue the camera glasses line because there's still more that they could push forward from smart glasses before actually getting to an AR headset. Uh, if they wanted to continue that, right, Heaney? Yeah. So in October at Connect 2021, you may remember Mark Zuckerberg announced Project Nazare, and he said it's our first full AR glasses. And the idea was that they didn't show you any specs. They didn't show you any details. They just kind of showed this weird mock-up that didn't really reveal anything because it wasn't even real footage. But in April, a report came out from The Verge saying that Meta planned to ship Project Nazare, their first real AR glasses, in 2024. And Nazare apparently weighs 100 grams, which is around four times normal glasses, resembles Clark Kent's thick black frames. That's The Verge's direct quote. Have a battery life of four hours, and it would be powered by an included wireless puck, which can fit in your pocket. And the original target field of view was 70 degrees, but The Verge said that that goal likely won't be met. So flash forward to May, and Reuters reported that Andrew Bosworth, the CTO of Meta, told staffers in this Reality Labs hardware division that makes the AR and VR products that the company could not afford to do some projects anymore and would have to postpone others. So that brings us to, well, in that April report, The Verge noted that the expensive components in Nazare, which included eye-tracking cameras, custom waveguides, and micro-LED projectors, meant that its price would be multiple thousands of dollars, which meant that if this was going to ship in 2024, as had apparently been planned, it would have been a fairly niche product aimed at early adopters and developers anyway. But the information and The Verge now both report that Meta no longer plans to ship Nazare to consumers. It will not be sold as a product. Instead, it will be distributed to developers and used as a demonstration product. You know, they'll show the press and say, this is our AR glasses we've built. They'll give it out to developers so that they can start to build apps. But the new plan is reportedly to ship what was originally going to be the second generation as the first generation to consumers. And it would happen in 2026. And uh, The Verge reports that the difference is that it has a sleeker design and an improved optical system which likely means a wider field of view. So it's not that Meta is no longer going to do AR glasses. It's just that as an actual product, it's now going to arrive two years later and the first product will just become a developer kit. And 
But as Ian mentioned, there's also this separate product line at Meta, the Ray-Ban Stories, which we have today, which are camera glasses. They just have a, a microphone, a speaker, and cameras that allow you to take pictures and videos from a first-person perspective. And in May, Zuckerberg met with the founder of Luxottica, the, the billion, Italian billionaire, which is you know Luxottica being the company behind Ray-Ban and Oakley that actually has a near monopoly on the, on the glasses market, to plan, and this is what he said, new smart glasses. The Verge says that next year, as early as next year, Meta plans to release non-AR smart glasses that just give you a little heads-up display of notifications from your phone. So it doesn't have a wireless puck that's in your pocket. It doesn't do augmented reality. It doesn't put you know Pokemon or objects in your room. It just has a little heads-up display. And that product is apparently still on track to be shipped as early as next year. Putting two and two together, I suspect that that's probably going to be the next generation of Ray-Ban stories. So as whereas today, there's no display system at all. You just have that speaker for audio output. The Ray-Ban Stories next generation may have this little heads-up display. And so there'll be three years after that until the consumer can actually buy real AR glasses from Meta, and they'll probably be a lot more expensive. But until then, there will be non-AR smart glasses. Yeah, and when you put this into the context of everything else going on, so uh, Microsoft also had a reorganization quite recently uh with all the hololens and other teams um, integrated into the rest of the company so uh what we're what i'm getting the sense here uh from across the industry is that ar is further out than all these companies uh expected right that they're they're throwing billions of dollars at engineering wide field of view lightweight see-through lenses that can insert believably objects into your field of vision. And uh, I think it was Jerry Ellsworth I had in the studio within a couple weeks ago saying it's just physics. It's very, very hard. And uh, no matter how many billions they're throwing at these projects, we come back again and again and find out that it's just not doable in a really compelling way at an affordable price. And, uh, that, that means for the near future, Heaney, doesn't it, that uh, AR optics with mixed reality reconstruction is going to be big for the next, I don't know, three years, Heaney, at least? You're still muted. Sorry, my headphones just fell out. Yeah, it feels like trying to ship an iPhone in the 1990s. That's what it feels like a lot of these companies are trying to do. And the reality is the technology today is becoming possible to make great VR headsets. In the next few years, we're going to see some really, really compelling products that get a lot, get rid of a lot of the issues that are still there with something like Quest 2. And because of these headsets are going to have these high resolution color cameras on the front of them, they're actually going to be able to deliver a better mixed reality experience in these glasses for years. Though obviously within the context of your home, because you can't kind of go and walk out into the real world. But until then, we're going to see a lot of AR glasses products that are bare bones minimum in the same way that you could you could buy a PDA in the 1990s. You could buy what is essentially a smartphone, but it was nowhere near actually compelling enough to be something that anyone other than tech nerds would want to really actually use in the real world. It does seem that until then, there's going to be this kind of 
class of smart glasses that are essentially Google Glass, but not dorky. Google Glass, but in a normal pair of glasses that don't look any different than a normal Ray-Bans or Oakley's. But the idea, as you keep sort of alluding to, that we're going to get these AR glasses anytime soon is just science fiction. And even when they do arrive in, say, 2026, they're going to cost thousands of dollars and they're going to have the kind of first generation issues that a lot of these products have. And, but, you know, just for people kind of wondering the context here, it's not, this isn't the reason reportedly that Meta has canceled these. The reason is that the entire tech industry is now going into kind of hiring freeze and in some cases layoffs in anticipation for a massive slowdown in the economy and a potential recession coming up. And tech's always very good at kind of preempting these issues and knowing that they're going to happen beforehand. Um, and, you know, in general, if anyone who's in the in the stock markets will know that all of these stocks have, have been heavily affected in recent weeks in anticipation for this coming recession. So Meta is making these cost-cutting decisions, which include apparently cancelling its planned first-generation smartwatch and also that they will no longer make any more consumer portals, their video calling device. They're cutting that entire section of their business. So this, I don't see this as something where Meta is like, oh, the technology is not ready yet. It's something where they're just saying, we can't afford to do all of these generations so soon we need to wait until it's ready yeah and it brings me back to quest 2 and the focus on quest 2 where we have heard those executives say that that product's can be on the market for a while repeatedly and i we heard and i think andrew bosworth say that again within the last two weeks something to the effect of that headset being on the market for a while heaney how how long do you think quest 2 is going to be the highest selling uh, headset from Meta. Uh, well, it, until Quest Three comes out, I guess it's you know they're going. To, which <laughs> that's what that's where I'm going with this. How how long until Quest Three essentially? Because I, I even if Quest Three comes out, there's these there's these things that they want to put in the hardware that just it's hard to imagine it hitting the same price. And uh, I, I wonder if Quest could ever Quest Two could ever be a low end product to a Quest Three, or whether they'll just flip the switch like they did from quest one to quest two overnight yeah i think we're going to see a, a, a swipping of the flitch from a sway flipping of the switch <laughs> that's a real tongue twister right there uh from quest two to quest three by the i think you know i suspect and again this is my speculation i have no inside info blah 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 disclaimer disclaimer i suspect that quest three will launch not this christmas but the christmas after and I suspect it will come along with a processor increase because that's the only real way to advance standalone VR in a compelling way that makes sense to call it a new generation is with a new processor. And the reason that happened so relatively soon from Quest 1 to Quest 2 was that Quest 1 launched with a processor that was already two years old. But Quest 2 launched with the processor that was the newest one available at the start of that year. So I think we're going to see a three-year cycle essentially where by that time, they're able to, again, make the same processor jump as Quest 1 to Quest 2, from Quest 2 to Quest 3. And then when you get that, that enables widening the field of view, that enables increasing the resolution, that enables adding new features without having to put in this massive battery that would drive up the cost. Artful going right to the question of, will it be an updated, the updated XR2 chip, do you think, Heaney, the XR2 Gen 2? Yes. I, so as, as we've noted before in this show and other people have noted, Qualcomm is now calling the current XR2 that's in the Quest 2, that's in the Neo 3, that's in the Vive Focus 3. They're calling it XR2 Gen 1. So I suspect that Quest 3 will launch alongside XR2 Gen 2. That's uh, you. It would be incredibly surprising 
to see it launch with the same 2020 processor. It simply would make no sense, in my opinion. There's no way for Meta to advance both the hardware and the content that's available, you know, to get games that have better graphics and bigger scope than to really make a generational processor leap. It's simply, it would be like launching the PlayStation 4 with the same processor as the PlayStation 3. It just wouldn't make sense. Um, I'm seeing this one question from Jimmy, and I just want to clarify or see what you think, Heaney. Meta comes out, or I've heard sort of release targets come from meta executives like for instance the release target for horizon worlds in uh smartphone form so i think that's all we know about that like the only reason we have that date target is because mark zuckerberg came out and said this is coming out this year but things can happen during production and building of these technologies to push them out and all through the rest of the show we're talking about examples of things getting pushed out in various ways but Meta has been absolutely steadfast that that Cambria is coming this year again and again and again. Do you think they can, you know, do you think there's still the possibility of delay? Are those just executives telling their teams what they expect? Or is that actually going to, you know, is there going to be something unexpected to push that out beyond this year? No, I think they're launching this year. They've said it as recently as a month ago. Large companies like Meta and Apple and others and Samsung are able to have these exclusive supply agreements with companies like Qualcomm and their other suppliers that small startups aren't. So what happens when there is a shutdown in China and when there is kind of these supply chain issues and the production's lower is that the startups are the ones that are pushed out so that they can deliver to the bigger companies. And it's, you know, you can argue about the ethics of that. You can argue about whether that's a good thing for the market. Obviously it isn't, but that is the reality here. These big companies are not affected in the same way that the smaller ones are. Uh, the report we saw from that Chinese analyst that reports on Pico sometimes suggests that Cambria will launch in September. And to me, that seems to make sense. Uh, some sort of quarter three launch around September or October for Cambria would be my intuition there as well. Hmm. Any comments you want to respond to there before we wrap this up? Uh, Anakazi's talking about the idea that with the same chip you could have a quest 3 that uses the same chip but eye tracking and foveated rendering to make it to make it worth it uh, that's an interesting idea but i still think when it comes to some of the core functions like the cpu and things like uh, the ram you're still going to want to have an advancement even with the neural processor that you have on there they're going to want to have more power in that so they can do more computer vision things I, again, I would be incredibly surprised if they would launch a Quest 3 with the same processor. Uh, Bionic Freak asking this question kind of out of the blue. Let's get to the real questions. Why is Minecraft not officially on the Quest yet? Uh, OpenXR has been the thing that Microsoft has said is necessary there, I think, for them to support vr across platforms and it's there microsoft supports open xr and it's even i think supported in the bare bones parts of minecraft it's just there's no kind of easy consumer path for them to get that product onto a meta headset without giving meta 30 percent, right yeah i don't think that was ever the issue the open xr thing i think that was just a line and you know they're on other platforms where they already have to give the platform owner 30 percent. i think it's just the fact that they don't want to they don't want to dedicate the resources to what is a relatively small platform. And potentially it's that they don't want to support a 
future competitor if Microsoft itself wants to launch a consumer platform. We talked a few months ago about that Business Insider report that Microsoft is still juggling between whether it wants to be in the consumer or enterprise market and whether it wants to be a hardware provider or a platform provider. And so until they've actually figured that out, they may not want to help their competitor. You know, when it came to Oculus, sorry, when it came to Gear VR, that was a very different situation in that a lot of the sentiment around Meta hadn't really come into the same realm as it is today. It was a different Microsoft. John Carmack was directly involved in the project. There were a lot of kind of uniqueness to it that I don't think yeah, the, would translate. They specifically, it was a plea. It was a personal plea, I think, from John Carmack at some point in there. There's this very technical mind who's ready to complain to uh, you know to publicly that, you know, I did all the work, but they decided not to release it. Like, you know, at the end of the day, I think that's what finally pushed that might have been what finally pushed that through because uh they did talk about minecraft kind of only coming to uh oculus back in the day with a very direct plea from executive to executive and uh i don't think that necessarily that that whole experience worked out well for microsoft right like getting on oculus go was it and gear vr and Rift? it was just gear vr it's just gear vr oh and yeah, Rift, so yeah. gear vr yeah. And so there's getting on there. I don't think that was a big business for Microsoft. And why would they want to do that for another platform again and not their own? So I'm seeing a lot of other questions here on a yeah. variety of subjects. Uh, Jimmy asked, do you think Avalanche Cloud Gaming has legitimacy? As in, do we think the leaks are real? Yes. Uh, if we want to go down to the next question, Beam and Dev asked, why can't cameras just be swapped out? Because the chip itself will, if it's processing more cameras or high resolution cameras, can't handle that it's there's a certain limit to what it can handle we've the leaks from cambria suggest that meta will actually be putting in a custom chip to handle some of that camera work so it's an asic that some of those face tracking and eye tracking cameras will communicate with and then that asic will then communicate with the chip ideally if you want to ship a 300 dollars headset you can't put in another chip like that you want the base chip that you're using to be able to handle everything that you're throwing at it because perhaps that's one of the cost drivers of cambria that means it will be significantly higher than 800 dollars, as meta has said bicycle asking the question about asgard's wrath being spotted with quest 2 parental control tweet we've reached out to meta on that subject uh in the past they've used asgard's wrath to advertise quest 2 uh, when they really, sh- you know, in a weird way that they probably shouldn't have because they gave it misleading idea that this is something you could do in standalone mode. Um, you know, we've, we've asked. Uh, it, it was odd to see that. So, well, yeah. Personally, I suspect it's just a media person making a mock-up with the assets they have. I, I, w- I don't think that if Asgard's Wrath was coming to Quest, it would be teased in a blog post about parental controls in the middle of some media asset. You know, I, I noted that it had a section on it for add-on content and Asgard's Wrath doesn't have DLC. I noted that it had the reviews that were the exact same reviews, 4.5 stars as the Rift version. I think they just lifted the assets and didn't think mm-hmm. about it. And then James O'Loughlin asking this question about NVIDIA Omniverse XR. Impressive level of visual fidelity with stereo ray tracing PCVR stream to Quest. Have you looked at that at all, Heaney? Yeah, we covered it. It's very interesting. It's the first fully ray traced VR. The, the system requirements were hilarious. The minimum was something like an RTX 3090 and the, sorry, the minimum was an RTX 3080 Ti and the recommended was two 3090s NV linked. 
So that was something that, you know, you need a very high-end workstation or an absolute monster of a gaming PC to run. But I tried it. And obviously, you know, I'm using a 3070 Ti, so the performance was not great. But it was visually incredibly impressive to see real-time full ray tracing in VR. And for the applications that's for, which are, you know, visualization and industry, that's going to be very impressive because because they're using ray tracing, you don't need to recompile the scene like you would in a game engine when you're changing the lighting. You can move around objects and change the lighting as much as you want, and that's directly dynamically reflected. So I think something like architecture is a great example of where that's going to be very, very important. The fact that they can actually visualize what a bit what a building will look like with different lighting at night with artificial lighting in the sunrise and the sunset that is a game changer for a lot of industries that today are doing this all in a much more slower iterative process there's another question from opsar asking about xbox uh wasn't it supposed to work with the oculus rift at some point or am i misremembering i think he is slightly misremembering misremembering except that there might have been discussions behind the scenes that just never came to fruition during that period. The, as I recall, uh, the news, the way that came out is during one of the Xbox announcements events a long time ago, they did put up specs that included VR, uh, a brief mention of VR in some mock-up page for their product. And then very quickly it got removed uh, very soon after that event, right, Heaney? Yeah, it was the Xbox One X, not not the Series X, but the the One X, their PS4 Pro equivalent. In the trailer, they had one of their developers say, and it's capable of high fidelity VR, which is which was obviously never shipped and hasn't even shipped on the Series X. And you know, when it comes to the Oculus partnership, that only ever turned out to be an app for the Rift, where you could view your and play your Xbox on your local network on a screen in front of you, kind of like you know the the 2D element of virtual desktop for your xbox so it wasn't anything really compelling in the end i suspect it was that same kind of soaring of the relationship between microsoft and facebook that may have killed any prospect of something more than that well i think that wraps it up for us this week thank you so much for the time and we'll see you in the future thanks so much everyone again we'll see you next week